It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday. It's August 19th. And thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. The show is made possible by sponsors like, or sorry, patrons like Greg and Luella. Cheryl, Timbo, Richard, Bill, Bob, Robin, Andy, and John, thanks so much for your support. I couldn't do it without patrons like you. And uh, you can become a patron of the show, by the way. Just go to thepetecallendershow.com and click the link. And uh, you'll see there's a uh, link there that takes you to Patreon, and that's how we get the patrons. And you get exclusive content. We do our live streams every Thursday night. And you get the bumper sticker. You get the bumper stickers. Um the show is also made possible by sponsors like Mattress Man. Four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. And right now, uh, Mattress Man has the triple zero deal going on. Zero down, 0% APR financing for up to 24 months. So no interest for 24 months, two years. And zero payments for 90 days. So you're basically getting a mattress. You're just going to walk out with a mattress. Well, the mattress gets delivered. So you walk out, you get home, mattress gets there, and you're not even paying for it for three months and no interest for two years. It's a great deal. Here's another great deal. $399 for the Queen Gel Memory Foam Mattress. So a gel memory foam queen size for $400. $399. That's a great deal. Also, with select mattresses, you will get the free bedding bundle which includes sheets, protectors, and pillows. It is all at Mattress Man. They have local five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. They ship nationwide. Go to mattressmanstores.com. Check out all of the inventory, include, uh, including the Biltmore Collection by Restonic. Made in Fayetteville, these are the mattresses that are at the Biltmore Hotel and Inn. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So what's going on with the post office? What's <laughs> what is happening with all of this? If you're like me, you really weren't paying much attention to any of this. And then all of a sudden, boom, it becomes uh, some kind of big story for some reason. Let me go first to Vox.com, hardly a right wing publication and a piece by Ian Milheiser. So uh, I'm not a huge fan of the guy, but let's just uh, let's just listen to what what he has to say as to how this all started. So at a Wednesday press briefing, this is last week, President Donald Trump laid out some of his objections to a democratic proposal to provide additional aid to individuals and states who are struggling financially during the pandemic. okay, so he's going over a bunch of these uh, issues that he has, some of his objections. He specifically names then two provisions that he finds unacceptable. One is $3.5 billion in funding for elections that could be used to fund mail-in voting and $25 billion in funding for the post office. And here's what he said. But now the Democrats, they want $3.5 billion. Think of it. But now that they're unwilling to approve a bill that gives all of that money... Of course, we would never approve an amount like that. And they also want $25 billion additional for the post office, Steve. $25 billion for the post office so the post office can handle this vast 
amount of ballots that are being sent at random all over the place. They have no idea where they're going. So they want $25 billion for the post office. They want $2.5 or $3.5 billion for universal mailing, $3.5 billion. And the bill's not going to happen because they don't even want to talk about it because we can't give them the kind of ridiculous things that they want that have nothing to do with the China virus. It has nothing at all to do with China virus, much of what they're asking for. So therefore, they don't have the money to do the universal mail-in voting. So therefore, they can't do it, I guess, right? Are they going to do it even though they don't have the money? They're asking for the $3.5 billion. They're asking for $25 billion for the post office so they can do this, I guess, and other things. At 25, I would hope it would be a lot of other things, too. But therefore, they don't have it. They don't have the money to do the universal mail-in votes. It'll be the greatest rigged election in history. It'll be the greatest fraud ever perpetrated, other than perhaps what they did to my campaign, where they spied on my campaign, President Obama, Biden, and everybody else. And they got caught. Let's see what happens. This will be one of the greatest frauds in history. So they're admitting that they want $3.5 billion, and they're not going to do a deal that's good for the American people. Therefore, they're not going to get the $3.5 billion. Therefore, they can't do the universal mail-in vote. It's very simple. How are they going to do it if they don't have the money to do it? Okay, so did you follow all of that? Did you follow all that? <laughs> all right. So <laughs> here is a little bit more of a succinct explanation because he appeared on Fox Business the following day. This was last Thursday. And he elaborated a bit on this objection to these two line items. Three and a half billion dollars for something that will turn out to be fraudulent. That's election money, basically. They want three and a half trillion, uh, billion dollars for the mail-in votes, okay, universal mail-in ballots. Three and a half They want $25 billion, billion, for the post office. Now, they need that money in order to have the post office work so it can take all of these millions and millions of ballots. Now, in the meantime, they aren't getting there. By the way, those are just two items. But if they don't get those two items, that means you can't have universal mail-in voting because they're not equipped to have it. Right. So, Millheiser... Ian Milheiser at Vox.com says Trump spent much of the pandemic railing against universal mail-in voting, a practice where states automatically mail ballots to registered voters. His campaign even sued the state of Nevada in an attempt to invalidate that state's law providing for voting by mail. So I want to take this opportunity to give credit to Ian Milheiser because he recognizes the difference between the mail-in, universal mail-in voting and absentee voting. Because... A lot of people don't. A lot of people conflate these two items. Um, Milheiser goes on to say, there's no evidence that any meaningful amount of mail-in ballot fraud exists. The state of Oregon, for example, has provided more than 100 million mail-in ballots to voters since, two th- uh, yeah, since the year 2000, but has only documented about 12 cases of fraud. Similarly, according to the Brennan Center for Justice's Wendy Weiser and Harold Ecke, Ecke, Ike? Um, well, how would you pronounce this? E-K-E-H. I'm at a loss. Quote, an exhaustive investigative journalism analysis of all known fraud cases 
identified only 491 cases of absentee ballot fraud from 2000 through 2012. Billions of votes were cast during that period. But again, those are absentee ballots, um, which are a little bit more secure. The key here is, do you request the ballot or does it just get sent to you? Because you can imagine if a ballot just arrives in the mail, anybody can then fill it out and send it in, especially if you don't have a, uh, a system that is designed to handle the verification process required for all of the signatures after the fact, right? at the board, And that's a Board of Elections issue. Joining me now is Dr. Kevin Kosar. He is the Vice President of Research Partnerships at the R Street Institute. Uh, that website is rstreet.org, and he is a former research manager at the Congressional Research Service, and he has been studying postal policy for almost two decades. Uh, Dr. Kosar, thanks so much for making time for me today. I appreciate it. Welcome to the show. Thanks for the opportunity to speak to your audience. Sure. So first of all, what is... And there are a lot of different angles to this, but what is the big deal right now with the post office? Why does this thing seem like it has become a flashpoint, like out of the blue? I did not have that on my 2020 Armageddon bingo card for some reason. <laughs> oh, boy, there's a, a few factors at work. You're right. The Postal Service is usually one of those issues that is a non-issue um, in America, Nobody outside the Beltway pays much attention, but now it's this big, crazy thing. And, uh, you know, part of this is certainly flowing from uh, a president. Um, he has, on and off over the last couple of years, uh, tweeted about the Postal Service and popped off and made various claims about the Postal Service. And things got really crazy this year when he started to disparage voting by mail. Um, that lamented a kind of election frame for the Postal Service. And with COVID showing up, which we didn't predict that was coming, um, we suddenly are going to have a lot more people who are going to cast absentee ballots. And the president is attacking voting by mail, even though he absentee ballots. Then we had this circumstance where a new postmaster general was appointed who happened to be a trump supporter so people kind of start connecting dots and going aha trump is going to steal the election by crippling the postal service and so they cite evidence um and i've been reading up on some of these uh it sounds silly but these facebook posts and memes on social media. Uh, I think there were pictures of a uh, truck with a bunch of mailboxes on them, and that became evidence of this. Um, and so it's difficult to kind of discern what is true and what is not, I guess, like all things in our modern era. Um, and so what exactly uh, has Trump done in your mind that would lend some credibility to this idea that he is trying to do something with the post office in order to mess with the elections, if anything. Oh, um, yeah. He's repeatedly attacked voting by mail. He made the statement that uh, he wasn't going to you know, let the Postal Service get any money because they're going to use it to expand voting by mail, which is a nonsensical statement because it's not the Postal Service that would expand voting by mail, but it's a statement of local election officials. But all that, you know, has just given the appearance that the president um, is looking in the mirror and saying, I'm going to lose, and that therefore I'm going to prevent myself from losing by 
screwing up the election by stopping, you know, ballots from you know, getting counted if they're cast through the mail. So what of the slowdown uh, allegation, I guess? Like they, oh, the Postal Service is going to uh, leave all the mail on the floor. I think there was one that went around uh, mm-hmm. on social media that uh, my mailman told me that, you know, there's stacks of mail all over the place and it's not getting delivered. And that's all to help Trump. Is there any truth to that one? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, the new Postmaster General did give a couple of internal orders. One was to decrease the quantity of overtime that postal workers were were logging, which I think comes to something like a billion dollars a year in overtime. Um, The second thing was that he asked the letter carriers when they come into work not to wait for all the mail to be sorted before they took it out and delivered it, but rather Whatever is sorted when you arrive, take that and deliver it. Um, And it's possible that both those reforms had the effect in some places of creating mail backlogs. The PMG kind of alluded to that when he said that, hey, these things I, 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 I asked the full service to do had some unintended effects. Um, But, the real problem is that we don't actually have a whole lot of data on what's going on. You know, if something is going wrong with the mail in, say, Philadelphia or in Milwaukee, those are interesting data points, but what does it mean for the mail flows as a whole? And the Postal Service, you know, I'm hoping in these upcoming congressional hearings can report out on some, like, trend line data that explains, like, is mail really slowing down in general or is it just a few places? So you mentioned this, yeah, the Postmaster General, Louis, is it, it's DeJoy? Is that how he pronounces it, Louis DeJoy? Yeah. Okay. He has agreed to House Democrats' request now to testify um, about some of the changes you mentioned, uh, you mentioned one, which, well, let me ask you just more in depth on that. Um, Is that, does that reform make sense? It seems like I could see some benefits to doing that, like making sure that when you, when you get in, if you're a letter carrier, you get in and you go out on your route. And if it gets, you know, then you come back, do the rest of your sorting. And so you're maybe you're working a day behind, but it's I mean, I, don't, I mean, I'm going to be glib here, but I mean, it is the Postal Service. So it's like <laughs> I mean, it's going to get there when it gets there. Right. I mean, isn't that always the case with the Postal Service? It's a, yeah, I mean, it's a complicated picture because there's another piece to the, the puzzle, which is the Postal Service right now is having this massive influx of parcels. Hmm. They're carrying more boxes than they ever have before. And the Postal Service really wasn't designed to tote boxes. They're, they're, you know, they're a paper toting agency. And they're dealing with this huge crush, which obviously means that postal workers got to do a lot of sorting of parcels. Uh, letter carriers got to deal with these things. And it'd be interesting for the, the PMG to explain, like, if parcels are coming in at a huge crush, can you really cut overtime? and make sure that those parcels and the paper mail are getting out the door as promptly as they should. Because when people pay for postage, they do have expectations about how fast things should move. You pay more for faster movement. You pay less for slower delivery. Um, so yeah, the postal, postmaster needs to explain those policies a bit more. I mean, it makes sense as a cost-cutting thing, but if they're contributing to backlogs, uh, then they should be rethought. Yeah. Um 
I guess I wonder how much of this could be. Is it just a matter of logistics that's that helps solve some of these problems? Because I look at, you know, FedEx and UPS. I know they're not the same model, but they're able to figure out how to run these types of operations. Why can't the Postal Service figure this out? Um, yeah, the Postal Service, I mean, they do a, an incredible number, uh, incredible mail volume. Yeah. Um, they are the biggest mail service on earth. And the diversity of stuff they carry, shapes, sizes, weights, is pretty incredible. Um, and, you know, over the last 15 years, the nature of their business has just changed. You know, the amount of paper mail being produced, which their whole infrastructure is built for, has shifted. It's gone way down. And then you've got these other things coming in, these boxes in a whole variety of shape in ever-increasing volume showing up. You know, the sort of machines that sort a piece of paper mail, and there are many different types for different types of paper mail, you can't just jam a thousand parcels into that. And so their whole logistics um, infrastructure is being challenged by the changing, you know, behavior of consumers. FedEx, UPS, DHL, they are built for boxes. That's what they do. Their trucks, their sorting machine, everything they do is around boxes. So their volume goes up. It's not as hard a challenge for them. I guess that does make a bit of sense, which is why I was interested to talk with you. <laughs> because I have, I have a, I, there, it, there seems to be, like, I just, I don't understand why, uh, in my entire life uh, as an adult, I just have heard that the Postal Service has problems. And, uh, and I guess more recently, right, there was with the... Uh, uh, last round of uh, what the tax cuts that the Republicans passed, there was um, there were some problems with the postal services and funding the uh, the pensions and stuff, and and that caused problems for the postal service. Uh, I was surprised to learn I, I I may have known this, but I was surprised to learn in doing the research on this that it's they're they're not federally funded. The postal services, and, and I I guess I assumed there was federal dollars that went to that agency. So how are they funded? Yeah, they, in 1970, they were recreated um, as the Postal Service instead of the Post Office Department. And they were set up as what's called a government corporation. It's a wholly governmental entity that has way more operational freedom than the usual government uh, bureaucracies. And they're under a mandate. Do enough commercial transactions to cover your operating costs. And so the Postal Service, yeah, they're, they're self-funding. They get a very tiny amount of money from Congress each year for the purpose of free mail uh, delivery for the blind uh, and a couple other public purposes. Um, and, you know, for the most part, the Postal Service has been able to um, cover its costs, but it's, it's a hard thing to do. They have a heavily unionized workforce. Uh, whose compensation increases regularly. They have more delivery points to serve every year. You know, subdivision gets built out in a field or something like that. Boom, there's more houses to go to. Uh, And they have to go to everybody. And Congress, year after year, even when mail volume is going way, way down, still requires them to deliver paper mail six days a week. 
So it's, it's, it's a challenge. You mentioned the, the changing way in which we consumers get stuff, right? The, uh, the Amazonification of everything. And so that's put pressure on the Postal Service, but also uh, COVID, right? What, ha- what impact has all of the pandemic had on the Postal Service? Well, it's um, done a, a few things. For one, it started uh, chipping away at the Postal Service's workforce. You know, letter carriers, people sorting mail are starting to get sick. Hmm. And that's a problem. And as that goes forward, I I hope it, that we don't have so many people getting sick that the Postal Service, you know, the works get. The Postal Service has a plan for, like, what happens if, come election period, 10% of the workforce is out sick. Can they handle uh, the demands on them? Second thing COVID has done to them is to exacerbate the uh, erosion of paper mail. There's just less of it. Businesses are sending less and less of it out. Um, Third thing is COVID has exacerbated the trend for more packages being put into the Postal Service. And, you know, financially, they're losing money uh, from the erosion of mail, paper mail, but they're making a, bringing in a lot of dough from parcels. Right. Uh, third quarter 2020, financial results were just reported. The Postal Service brought in more money this quarter than they did in 2019 in the third quarter. Very surprising stuff. Yeah. So fueled by parcels. Will that help them? If this is sort of a, if this becomes a, you know, a, a multi-quarter trend, would that help them? Yeah. Uh, it will help them. Um, you know, the Postal Service has very high fixed costs. They're like an airline. If somebody is not paying them to do something, they still have to pay for all those costs. You know, if nobody shows up at a post office, they still have to pay for the You can't just tell your unionized workforce, ah, don't show up for the next six weeks because <laughs> we don't have any work for you and we're not going to pay you. No, they got to pay for all that stuff all the time. I remember reading an article years ago, some guys, I think they were out of the Bush administration, and they created some sort of an app that would uh, scan all of your mail and deliver it in a virtual mailbox. And they eventually got summoned to the Postmaster General, and they thought, oh, this is great. They went in there like optimistic, like they're going to partner with us. And the Postmaster General told them uh, that uh, you got to stop. This is not help- helpful to us because our main clients are the bulk mailers. And it's such, it, it's a, it was such an obvious point that I never considered before, but it is true, I guess, right? The majority of stuff I get now is just coupons, bulk mailers, that's it, right? And that's that's really who's paying a lot of the freight at this point, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Um, the Postal Service's main sources for revenue are not you and me buying stamps or standing in line at the post office to have a package carried. It's business, and to a lesser degree, government. They're the ones who are spending billions and billions of dollars for uh, the mail. And uh, yeah, so the Postal Service is very sensitive to what the commercial mailers and commercial uh, parcel shippers and retailers want. Yeah, the money quote out of that story was that the, uh, it was, I think, the communications guy 
for the postal service told these these upstart <laughs> guys these app creators they said the internet the person said the internet is a fad <laughs> i mean this was granted this was probably about like 20 years ago now but still i mean i think the internet had proven its uh, its uh, longevity by that point but um so so what is your expectation now you've you're going to be watching i'm sure the hearings when they come up what's your expectation on how this sort of uh, unfolds, or what should we be looking for uh, in this in this fight now that it's, I guess, turned political? Yeah, well, we've got a Senate hearing on Friday that was announced after the House said that it was going to do a hearing Monday. And, you know, the House hearing was called by Democrats. Uh, and if you look at the committee that's going to be holding that hearing, it's the committee of people who, you know, there's a fair number of them who've accused the postmaster general of being a tool for the president uh, who's out to undermine election. So I think Monday's hearing is going to be viciously political uh, and the postmaster general and uh, a representative of the postal service board of governors are going to get probably pounded upon. It won't be pretty. <laughs> uh, Friday's hearing in the Senate, you know, the Republicans have the majority there. I think, you're going to have a little more sober inquiry um, and you're going to have people asking questions that help explain some of the stuff that has freaked people out. Like postmaster general, please explain to us how many letter collection boxes have been removed since you started two months ago. And please tell me about the last 10 years of letter collection boxes, removals. What's the trend line? What do the data show? I think you're going to get a lot of those sort of questions. And those questions will be, I think, valuable in kind of calming the public fear um, and educating media about kind of what's what. <laughs> and I'm, you know. You're an optimist. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, but of course there's going to be a vote. The House has definitely said it's going to bring up legislation. Uh, the legislation as originally drafted said that that basically it was a two-page bill that said you, the Postal Service, can't can't take any machine, uh, mail processing machines offline until the election is over. Uh, you can't remove any letter collection boxes. Um, you can't cut over time. But now we're hearing that that bill is going to be amended to include a Postal Service bailout, possibly $10 billion in cash given to the Postal Service for no clear purpose, possibly as much as $25 billion. And, um, you know, Democrats, no doubt, will vote in block uh, in favor of it. And Republicans are going to be in this difficult position of having to decide, like, are we going to vote for something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, and then get tarred in the coming election for being, you know, hostile to the post office and part of the Trumpian plot to destroy it? Or are we going to go along with it? Yeah, so it's gonna it, get interesting. Yeah, and in the grand scheme of the budget, twenty-five billion is a rounding error, right? So <laughs> it's uh, it seems like the incentives are are built in for the Republicans to go along with it uh, to avoid that kind of attack. That'll be interesting to watch. Uh, anything else on this that you think is important or interesting for folks to know before we let you go? Uh, just to go back to your point about postal service being self-funding. Um, I can tell you that giving the Postal Service a bunch of cash is just not something Congress usually does. And in fact, the last time that it gave the Postal Service cash 
was right after 9-11. Hmm. And we had the anthrax attacks. Right. And Congress said, you know what, whoever this maniac is who's delivering, you know, sending anthrax to people, we need to do something. So they put up like $400 million, tiny amount of money compared to what we're talking to today. Right. <laughs> they put up about $400 million so that the Postal Service could buy technologies that would detect anthrax in the mail sorting facilities. That was the last time Congress gave the Postal Service an emergency appropriation. Um, so what's happening right now is pretty peculiar stuff. <laughs> this is the stuff you live for, though, studying it for as long as you have, right? This is this is like the Super Bowl, I would imagine, right? <laughs> Uh, it certainly, it certainly is a moment, and I'm I'm glad that um, you know all the time I've spent studying the issue, I can uh, you know help others right. uh, try to grasp what's going on. But uh, I'll be very happy for our country when things settle down. Right. Uh, well, I appreciate you sharing your insight and expertise with us today. Thanks so much for your time, Dr. Kevin Kosar, Vice President of Research Partnerships at the R Street Institute. Um, again, thanks for your time, and uh, thanks for sharing it with us. Thank you. Speaking of expertise, Rowena Patton, expert in real estate. She will get your house sold quickly and for more money. It's what she does. She and her all-star powerhouse team outsell 99% of the realtors in North Carolina. She's the only agent uh, that I recommend and ever have recommended for buying or selling a home. Christy and I are going through the process right now, and we are putting them to work for us. You can, too, at 333-4483. MountainHomeHunt.com is the website. Now, I can't take advantage of the Homes for Heroes program, but you could if you are a police officer, a firefighter, a healthcare professional, an educator, or a member of the military, veteran, active duty, or retired, you can be part of the Homes for Heroes program, which is a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. Uh, and Rowena and her team have given back uh, roughly $800,000 to local folks in Asheville that are in those professions. Homes for Heroes. She's the only Homes for Heroes agent in Asheville. Give her a call, 333 333- 4483 buying or selling mountainhomehunt.com and start packing. Joining me now is Tyler Crowley. He is host of the podcast Born with a Five O'Clock Shadow, based in Wilmington, North Carolina. Welcome to the program, Tyler. How are you? Pete, it's uh, good to talk to you. Um, I know we both were on radio for a while, so it's kind of cool that now we're both talking in a completely new format. So yeah. uh, I enjoy it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. How long were you? How long were you in radio? Uh, I was in it for ten years. And I did the morning show in Wilmington for eight of those 10 years. And so now you're doing the podcast. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I do want to ask you a little bit about that. But uh, sure. I noticed your last podcast, you started with this discussion of the post office. And so that's why I reached out and said, we got to have <laughs> some uh, some fun. I mean, a discussion, a, a well-informed and completely serious discussion about all of the, uh, the post office conspiracy theories. Uh, I just... I will. I will say this. Uh, well, let me actually, because I haven't actually set this up for the audience. So let me say this: Jerry Ryan, she's the actress that used to be married to uh, was it Jack Ryan, the guy who ran for Senate yeah. against Obama years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Jerry Ryan, uh, she had a Facebook post um, that said uh, they're not even trying to hide it now. All caps, I should point out. And there's a photo uh, from Hartford that shows this uh all of these uh mailboxes all piled up 
the 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 indication here is that the Trump administration is trying to steal the election by taking all of the mailboxes off of the streets. And if this is proof, then I saw probably the same thing. I saw a semi that was carrying a bunch of vehicles on the back of it. And I guess they're trying to take away all of the new vehicles so we can't drive to the polls. I can only assume this is part of the grand conspiracy as well. Have you seen anything like this as well? Yeah, well, I mean, I would say the most high-profile one I saw was uh, former Senator Claire McCaskill would tweeted out a photo of a locked mailbox. And this is one of the other conspiracies that's been around for a while, this idea that they're locking the mailboxes so people can't put mail-in ballots. Uh, into the mailboxes, but what everyone's realizing, uh, without being explained to a lot of people, is that what's happening is that people, and from what I've read, is that because it's now harder to, um, you know, get people's information on the internet, it used to be easier, but now things are super encrypted. People are, the, uh, criminals are going old school, and they're now doing, I think it's called phishing or something like that, where you basically reach your arm into these mailboxes and try and pull letters out and get people's information. So they're trying to lock the more open part of it. And therefore there's slots on the back that are much thinner and impossible to do that with. That's where you're supposed to mail the letter. So they're not shutting down the mailboxes. They're just making it harder for people to steal the letters. Actually, you could argue they're trying to prevent uh, ballots from being <laughs> stolen by doing this uh, technique and it's being completely turned around. And you have people like Claire McCaskill who are pushing these conspiracy theories out there. And what drives me nuts is that the media loses its mind, rightfully so in some cases, when Trump says something conspiratorial. But when it happens on the left, it just gets ignored. And it drives me crazy that this is not being denounced by Democrats across the board, and instead it's being encouraged. We've seen uh, people like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, obviously on the ticket this year, not denouncing this and in some cases promoting it. And so it's just a little hypocritical of once again, the press who seems so upset when Trump doesn't dismiss a conspiracy theory or promotes one. And yet the left's doing it right now. And the media doesn't seem to care. Well, the, because there's a benefit, right? The Democratic Party and oh, the media, but I repeat myself, they are uh, <laughs> they are benefiting from uh, their voters being agitated and angry and scared and concerned that the the guy in the White House is the fascist tyrant that they knew he he was, and so this is proof he's trying to steal the election. It confirms their priors, right? Well, of course, of course, because that's what dictators do, right? And fascists do is they hold elections. That's one of the one of the well known facts about uh, fascism <laughs> and uh, dictators is uh, the election process. But here's what is so funny to me about this whole situation. If I would, this is what I call the never Trump paradox. It was also known as the Bush paradox. It's this idea that many on the left have that Donald Trump is the biggest idiot that's ever existed. Some people on the right think this. But at the same time, they also claim him to be this brilliant tactician who has found a way to stop mail-in balloting from happening. And he's secretly using the post office and everything else as a way to make all of this happen. And they, those can't exist in the same universe. I mean, it would cause like a time rip. Trump can't both be an idiot and a brilliant criminal mind all the time. And for some reason, they seem to be arguing both of those at the exact same time. For example, they'll argue that Trump just said he's trying to stop mail-in balloting. And I'm like, well, the fact that he's 
making that argument, doesn't that seem like he's not trying to hide it? And therefore, I mean, it, it's, it's either sinister or it's not. It's either hidden or it's not. And it's like all conspiracies at the same time. That's why many people have said this is the left version of QAnon. It's like every conspiracy <laughs> they've ever had wrapped. I saw the best argument I saw was, I think it, uh, they said it should be called Blue Anon for the mailboxes that are all being taken. So it's like they want two worlds to, <laughs> they want two worlds to exist both at the same time, which it can't happen. Yeah. So little, little known fact, the rim shot sound effect makes everybody funnier by about 47%. <laughs> so it's, it's true. Um, now th- I will say the one difference between Trump and Bush with the paradox uh, theorem is that with Bush, there was the evil genius puppet master Dick Cheney that was a believable ah, puppet master. True. Right. The problem with Trump is that uh, you, you, who who around him do you see, do you see as the puppet master? Because they so denigrate everybody else. Like who is it? Jared Kushner. They they, they say he's an <laughs> idiot too. Everyone around Trump is perceived to be and argued to be an idiot. So there isn't a puppet master. So yeah, it's it's even more stark. And this is I, I say this all the time that we are really afflicted with uh, a derangement syndrome where we view everything pro and con through the prism of Trump, that we don't know if something is good or bad unless we know how it affects Donald Trump or what Donald Trump thinks about a particular thing. And it's really destructive because it 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 undermines our ability to think rationally and logically about issues that don't have anything to do with him a lot of times. Well, yeah, and you're, I mean, you're right. I mean, we, we skip over a lot of very important stories if there's no Trump angle. Yeah. Like if there's something big that's happening, you know, internationally, you know, for example, uh, you know, the bombing recently, um, I think it was Lebanon. Um, it's sort of like it got, it got, obviously got coverage because of the, the, you know, the, the, the video that emerged after the bombing, but there was no Trump angle. Like it didn't seem like Trump acted wrong. You know, he didn't say anything dumb or do anything. So, it just sort of disappeared because the press couldn't tie it back and go, oh, why isn't Trump helping out Lebanon? Or why isn't, uh, you know, why did Trump say this? And so the story went away really quickly when there's still a lot of unanswered questions. But because there's no Trump angle, it doesn't sell. And, you know, that goes to Trump's theory that if he loses the election, you know, a lot of newspapers <laughs> and television stations are, are going to be hurting uh, in 2021 <laughs> because it seems like every story has to have that trumpet. I wonder, I actually wonder what happens when if he does lose, when these media outlets are going to have to actually find other stories to tell besides Donald Trump, because it's been very, very easy for them for the last four years. Oh, yeah. You know, especially in COVID. Because they can just kind of sit at home and watch his Twitter feed and then write a whole article about how that tweet was the most horrible thing ever. And now they're actually going to have to, like, go to the Oval Office and ask Joe Biden questions. Just kidding. Of course, they'll never do that. They only ask Republican questions. <laughs> right. Well, you've seen <laughs> the video. Yeah, right. You've seen the video of the last, what, two press conferences that or not even oh, press yeah. conferences. Yeah, they're just uh, Biden and Harris come out and they make some statement and then they get uh, the media gets herded out of the room and they willingly go and they just all shut up and they stop asking questions. And you never see that uh, with uh, President Trump. You never see. And I, look, I'm not a big fan of President Trump. It's not like I'm beating the drum for Trump all the time here. Um, I, I just I recognize the inconsistent application of standards and it just drives me nuts uh, it sounds like it, it does you too <laughs> well it does and with this issue what i think is even you know going back to sort of hypocrisy is i was looking today there was the, you know the washington post has the, the trump lie um counts and yeah. it's like twenty thousand lies it's like <laughs> trump always lies everything he says is a lie 
And it's and then they go, see, look, he just said that he was trying to mess with mail-in balloting. I'm like, well, so that's a lie, right? So he's not actually trying to mess with mail Well, that was the truth. He was telling the truth on that one. So <laughs> on all that the one. other things he says are lies. But that <laughs> one was actually a truthful statement. And it's, it's just it's the inconsistencies uh, with the press. And, you know, I agree. Like, I'm not a huge Trump fan. But like these, these conspiracies, um, and also I should point out, and this is very important, by all accounts, Republicans win mail-in votes. Absentee balloting, for most parts, I mean, I know, it, I know it is in this county, in most counties, because voters that vote absentee tend to be older, um, and so that usually fits into the demographic of Republicans, and they tend to win, uh, you know, usually the way it goes, right? Republicans win absentee balloting. Democrats win early voting, and then Republicans tend to do well on Election Day. Right. And so it's weird that Trump would be trying to shut down an area in which the Republicans normally tend to do well. Um, so that's another kind of answer I've never gotten on why he would be doing this. I think, well, there was one, I just saw something that came out of, I want to say, Marquette University that found... Um, I saw it someplace. I don't have it in front of me, but it was it was like a two to one Biden to Trump voter kind of spread about who would be taken advantage of the mm-hmm. uh, of this uh, mail in voting, absentee voting, and everyone's conflating the two, and they're not the same. But um, the yeah. Uh, yeah, this uh, that that this may be a year where Democrats do it, which I, I don't understand because if the masks work, then what's the problem with in person voting? I don't. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not clear on that now what i am clear on is general equipment rental in weaverville crystal clear that if you want to use the karcher misting system with vital oxide disinfectant to clean your business your house maybe your properties that you manage or child care facility or your school um, if you want this misting system you go to general equipment rental in weaverville and it's really easy to use. It's like the size of a shop vac. It's on four independent wheels. It has a cordless uh, or it has a wand and it's cordless. And so you can just roll it all around and you just spray the disinfectant, sanitizer, deodorizer, all in one vital oxide disinfectant. And it kills 99.9% of infection causing bacteria and viruses, including the coronavirus. Okay. This is a hospital grade EPA approved uh, non-toxic, hypoallergenic, odorless, colorless, 100% biodegradable disinfectant. You don't even have to rinse anything afterwards. It's safe for kids, pets, and food contact surfaces, including your countertops, your cookware, your appliances, your dishware. It's awesome. And it is the Karcher Misting System with Vital Oxide Disinfectant. It is available at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. You rent this machine. You use it once, and uh, then you're good for like seven to ten days. All you got to do is just spot clean the high traffic areas, and everything stays sanitized and disinfectant. Family owned and operated for three generations. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. Go to GeneralRents.com/Pete and get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. GeneralRents.com. Think outside your toolbox. Tyler Crowley is my guest. He is the uh, podcaster from Wilmington Now Radio, uh, veteran, but he ha- now has a podcast called Born with a Five O'Clock Shadow, which I'm uh, I'm guessing that is some sort of self-deprecation. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, real, you're, you're going to kick out of this as a radio guy. So, as you know, your show has an intro. Every show has an intro. I was writing a new intro for my radio show, and I needed a filler line, and I was, you know, I was trying to come up with something. 
and I just came up with the man, and I was like, he's, you know, he was born with a five o'clock shadow, and I threw that in there, and for some reason, that throwaway line that I came up with like right before I had to send the copy in, everyone jumped onto. Um, I've actually had Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest say it to me when I've seen him in person. He's like, there's the guy born with a five o'clock shadow. And everyone loved that line. It was just like, it was like a last minute, like filler that I threw into my intro. And I said, okay, I'll call my podcast that since everyone seemed to like it so much. <laughs> it is one of the things about radio that you do all the prep in the world and then <laughs> you say something or you take a call and all of a sudden uh, you're off the rails and you've made some sort of, uh, you know, radio magic caught lightning in a bottle. I did it once with uh, Snowman on the Street when uh, we got hit with a blizzard and, uh, you know, we don't have any newsroom to to send anybody out to go tell us that it's snowing, uh, you know, live from a ver- uh, various parts of town. So I just enlisted all of the audience and I would have them give me, you know, the lockout back to you, Pete. And, you know, I would you know, play the intro music, you know, some scary music and let's go to Tyler out in Wilmington. What's the mood? I was, well, we'd ha- that was my always follow-up question. What's the mood? What's the mood? And people loved it. And it actually provided the same kind of coverage that everybody else does right that you you go out there and you like oh it's snowing here stay home but not me i'm gonna go out in the snowstorm (laughs) so so, uh, everyone that doesn't have a a super sophisticated news van can't drive except for us right essential there's no indestructible (laughs) right we were the essential personnel before it was uh, a household term so um how is the podcast going how how many episodes in are you and uh why'd you start it up well, I'm, I'm 12 in, about to do number 13, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> kind of a scary number. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really interesting. I mean, as you know, um, it's just, it's, to me, in my opinion, the one thing I loved about talk radio was at the time, it was the longest format available in order to have like an in-depth conversation. Yep. TV, you only had so much time. Newspaper, you only had so many inches. But in radio, you could do, you know, a 20 minute interview. Well, what I love about podcasting is you can do an hour on one topic and get really in depth, or you can do, uh, you know, many topics just depends on what you're feeling that day, but just the versatility, uh, is something that's really cool. And also, um, yeah, I mean, you have live reads, but you don't have the four or five minute commercial breaks. You don't have weather. You don't have all of these things that sure are valuable, but if you just want content, you now can listen to talk for 30, 40, 50 minutes, an hour, of uninterrupted the host talking, which is what a lot of people want. And as you know, if you do a three-hour show, it's usually 30, 40 minutes that you're just recycling as you go throughout the show. Now you, it's, it's more efficient use of time. And so I'm kind of getting used to it, figuring it out, figuring out, you know, I don't need to fill as much space as I did on radio. I don't have to go on tangents on, you know, just to make it to the next commercial break. So it's it's just learning to be efficient with the time, and I, I think that's more valuable for me, and I think it's more valuable for the listener. So I'm I'm enjoying it a lot, as, as I know you are. Yeah. So the website is born with a five o'clock shadow dot com, and uh, he does go over in his last podcast from uh, August seventeenth. Post office conspiracy theory gets into this topic, uh, among others, uh, as well as the uh, COVID outbreaks hitting UNC, the QAnon candidates uh, winning primaries, and Anthony DeMauro joins the program on his last episode. So uh, give it a listen. Tyler, I appreciate your time today. Good to talk with you, buddy, and good luck on your show. Hey, Pete. I appreciate it so much. you giving me a voice, too. I know you have a much bigger audience, but thanks for having me on. Absolutely. No problem. Now, if you think the internet is just a fad, pay no attention to this. All right. If you want your website 
to turn up in search engine results. You want it to look professional. You want it to be user-friendly for your customers and for you. Then uh, you need to get in touch with my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design because, uh, first off, great design can solve a lot of your site's problems. Uh, but he does all sorts of stuff for the web. He does graphics. He does photos online stores. He does search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. He even does logos. He did mine. It's fantastic. I love it. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So Trump campaign officials, according to the Washington Post, have said that Donald Trump is opposed only to universal mail balloting, states that send actual ballots to all registered voters. That's a different thing than absentee ballots, where you have to ask for the absentee ballot first. I've done this. You have to ask for it. You then get an absentee ballot. You fill it out uh, with a witness or two or notary public. But what Trump is talking about is universal mail balloting, where the state just, you know, sends out ballots to everybody, whether they asked for them or not. And they said they're going to spend more in upcoming months convincing the president's supporters to vote absentee. And uh, they say they're not worried about Trump's actions suppressing GOP turnout. But the president, according to the Washington Post, has attacked mail voting broadly, warning it will lead to a rigged and corrupt election. Trump has asked his aides if he possesses executive powers that can be invoked to block universal mail balloting. Um, This is according to people who are familiar with his inquiries and who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe the private, uh, private conversations. At a time when voters are growing more concerned about the reliability of the post office, Republicans are also fighting the placement of ballot drop boxes in Pennsylvania, claiming they are not sufficiently secure. Like I will tell you, part of my problem with all of this is the uh, the short timeline, uh, because I don't trust GovCo to do much very well, particularly when it is rushing to do so in the midst of a pandemic. Now, that's just me. And maybe I have, uh, I don't know, a uniquely dim view of the prowess of GovCo. But I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, and so that's there may be some value in some of these methods, not the everybody gets a ballot method. That's just garbage. Um, if you want a ballot and you want to vote by mail, you should request that. You should have to take a step to request that. I don't think that's asking too much because when you send out all, I mean, think about it. We're trusting the Postal Service to run our election. They can't even run their own operation. Come on, guys. Um I mean, again, like this is just an obvious thing to me. Obvious, like if you want military surplus, you go to Old Grouch's military surplus. That's obvious to me. Old Grouch's military surplus in downtown Clyde. He's got tons of real U.S. military surplus. Uh, He and his late father, Tim, and his late dad, uh, the original Old Grouch, um, they've been doing this for more than three decades. And uh, now they've got, for example, body armor, all types made to NATO specs. These are for in-store or over-the-phone purchases only. Uh, Also, an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies. And he's got face masks made by a locally, uh, made locally by a disabled family, veterans, uh, out of military parachutes. Lightweight and soft, really cool as well. Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. So 
James Bovard at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, he says he's got a piece out. Male slowdowns started 50 years before Trump. Recently, a Washington Post article condemned the Trump administration for seeking to disrupt a constitutionally mandated government service during the coronavirus pandemic. But actually, the Postal Service has been intentionally disrupting its own service since at least the Nixon era. At a high-level meeting in 1969, postal management decided to, quote, no longer strive for overnight mail delivery and to keep this a secret from Congress and the public. Well, I mean, this is according to a report back in uh, 1974. This report was posted in the Washington Post. Management also considered cutting costs by educating Americans not to expect prompt service. That's a heck of a PR campaign. (laughs) The Postal Service estimated that the changes could add 10% to the average delivery time for first-class mail, which was already 22% slower than it had been just four years prior. The Postmaster General, Anthony Frank, claimed that the revised standards would improve our ability to deliver local mail on time. But that was simply because the Postal Service lowered the definition of on time. If you make that, if you make on time longer, then yay us. We're delivering more mail on time. Yay us. Beginning in 2000, the Postal Service quietly slashed delivery targets in much of the nation for first-class mail going beyond local areas. Then, in 2015, the Postal Service effectively eliminated overnight mail delivery, even for local mail in a lot of the nation. With revised standards, mail was considered to be on time if it took four to five days to arrive instead of three. The Postal Service has gotten away with scorning its customers because it is effectively a federal crime to provide better mail service than the government. The Postal Service has a monopoly over letter delivery. Uh, The monopoly dates back to the 1840s. After a half century of service cutbacks, why continue nationalizing the transport of small envelopes. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate that. Links are in the description. And we'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>